Welcome to the Learning with Lowell podcast. I am Lowell Thompson, and my lifelong love of learning saved my life. A few years ago, I was in and out of the ER and ICU with no end in sight due to, at the time, a mysterious illness. I read medical journals, talked to scientists and researchers, and learned how to develop a good treatment plan, all of which put me on the path to becoming healthy, which I am now. I have met the team responsible for creating the drug that saved my life. And now I'm taking my experiences and love of learning and translating them into interviews with experts, CEOs, and scientists in order to achieve three goals in every episode. To have fun and interesting conversations that are enjoyable to listen to, to learn what these people are developing and creating, to hear what their tactics, strategies, tools, books, and resources they use to accomplish what they were doing, so that you can learn, apply, and see what else is out there and enrich your life with every episode. Additionally, there will be an email capture in the show notes specifically for people who want to help and learn more about this Kickstarter I'm running next month. It is related to bees, so if you've ever asked yourself, how am I helping out the bees, considering they lost 40% in the U.S. alone last winter, then sign up for the newsletter and you'll get weekly updates about the developing problems in beekeeping and bees specifically and bee researchers as well. So I'll leave that there. Check it out. Uh, it's going to be amazing. You guys are, for longtime listeners and fans who have been messaging me on ways you can be supportive, this is a big way. So even if you just send that email capture to your, your Twitter, being like, hey, this guy's working on something, that'd be really helpful. If you want to sign up yourself, that's amazing as well. Remember, show notes, check it out, and it'll be labeled as well. Today we are joined with Dr. Ibrahim. He was on the podcast previously where we talked about the opioid epidemic. Today we dig into what it's like to be a board certified physical medicine and rehabilitation and sports medicine doctor in New Jersey and how he weighs his different decisions when he's trying to help people. Not everything results in a pill and the way he goes about things I think is very smart and amazing and we get to learn how he got into pain management and hopefully people listening who are thinking about going a doctor route can find some interesting insight into what drove him what what makes what's he passionate about that type of thing we also try to find uh, some good books at the end that's always a lot of fun so without further ado we're going to get into this additionally if you want to learn more about pain management and sports medicine new jersey or elsewise check out p s s m w e l l N-E-S-S.com. It's his website where you can kind of learn everything that's going on at his practice and he can give you a good sense of what the field is like. So without further ado, let's get into talking to Dr. Ibrahim. I've always, I think the interesting thing is like there's a lot of romanticized views of what it's like to be a doctor and people, like everyone wants people, like, you know, how many, how many parents aren't like, go oh, be a doctor, or like something like that because it, it it implies that you put a lot of time into doing something, and so there's not that very many people doing it, so you have like some, some protection in that way, and you actually can make a, a lot of value to the world. But I'm curious, um, in terms of like an actual week, what is it like? What are some of like the bad parts? What are some of the good parts? Where, you know, what's the, cause like most of it's routine, like most of it's probably like somewhere in the middle, but like, what are some of the things that keep you coming back? What are some of the things that are like, I wish someone would build a company to solve that? Um, or just sand it down and make them less intolerable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, the, I mean, the whole reason why I became uh, a physician to begin with was because obviously I wanted to, you know, make a difference in people's lives and, and, uh, and help people and, and get them better. Um, so I went into the, uh, sports medicine pain management route because, uh, that's more of a, 
I don't want to say like instant gratification, but you know, patients, you know, they come into you in this, in this horrible pain and they can't move and, you know, a couple of weeks of, of, of treatment and, you know, whether it's therapy or injections or medications or whatever it is, and they're, you know, significantly better or they get their quality of life back. And that's not to say that, you know, that happens with every single patient. Um, but for the most part, I'd say, you know, most of my patients, uh, you know, they come in, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, with this horrible pain and it's, you know, it's affecting their quality of life and they can't do the things they like to do. And within, you know, a couple of weeks, they, they come back and say, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm 90% better. I can, I mean, you know, I'm back to playing tennis. I'm back to running. I'm using they're you know, they're, they're happy again and, and doing the things they want to do. And that's that, you know, when you hear that, you get that, that gratification, like, wow, I, I, you know, I made a positive impact in this person's life. Um, and that's, that's probably the, you know, the thing that definitely keeps me coming back. I mean, there's never been a day where I woke up in the morning and said, oh, I still don't want to go to work tomorrow. You know, it's um, maybe, you know, maybe back in residency when, you know, you're working 14, 15 hours a day and, uh, you know, getting very little sleep and all that. But, uh, but definitely not once I was done with all my training and everything. I mean, I, I love what I do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I never have that Monday morning feeling of, oh, I don't want to go to work today. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. The, any, any, I don't know, I guess maybe paperwork is probably the, the downside. Yeah. I mean, the biggest downside is, is, you know, there are times where I spend more time documenting what happened rather than do- talking to the, you know, the, um, directly to the patient. Um, because if it's not documented, it didn't happen. So, mm-hmm. and you know, with the, the way the insurance companies work with prior authorizations and things like that, it's, you end up spending, you know, more time having to justify why you want to do something rather than actually treating the patient. So, you know, I could say, you know, I'd spend maybe 20 minutes with the patient and then between me and my staff spending half hour trying to get in a, in a certain procedure authorized. You know, my, uh, my staff routinely is on the phone for 20, 30, 40 minutes, sometimes even an hour, um, just trying to do one prior authorization for, for a patient. Um, so that's probably the biggest frustration with, uh, with the whole process. Is there no way to have like a, like a forum? Like, like, you, like if you have to say the same words over and over again and they just change the object and like what you're actually doing, is there no way to like create like a template? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you could. I mean, you can, you know, kind of template as much as you can, but at the end of the day, you know, every patient is different. Their symptoms are different. Their treatment that they've had is, is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, yeah, I mean, you can, you know, template as much as you want. Um but there are some stuff that you still have to do yourself. And, and yeah. sometimes it's not enough to just fill out a form and, and fax it in. You have to actually get on the phone with the insurance company. Um, sometimes they'll do what's called a peer to peer, which is where a doctor from the insurance company will want to speak to you. And you have to, you know, get on the phone with that doctor and explain exactly what, you know, what's going on, why you want to do the certain procedure. And then that doctor has, you know, has to decide whether or not it's authorized. How with that level of, I don't know, scrutiny, but like layers to it, how did we ever get the opioid epidemic? Why wasn't there, shouldn't there have been like a doctor somewhere that says, Hey, you know, maybe don't do that so much or like something like, I feel like that, like well, that, just that level to it would have made it less. Well, the opioid epidemic happened because of that, because no one's asking for prior authorization for a prescription for oxycodone. They're asking okay. for prior authorization to start physical therapy. They're asking for prior authorization for an injection. They're asking for prior authorization for, you know, chiropractic care. They're making it more difficult to do the conservative care and, and, you know, and the less quote unquote dangerous options than, than to just simply, you know, write a prescription for, for Percocet or Vicodin or whatever it is, mm. because, you know, from the insurance company standpoint, it's a lot cheaper 
you know, oxycodone is cheap. It's, it costs pennies. It's a lot cheaper for them to to fill a prescription for for opiates than it is to have the patient do a month of physical therapy. I know we can subsidize things. Like if something's too expensive, we can subsidize it. But is it is is it possible to un like the opposite, like anti-subsidize something so it's more expensive? <laughs> like make those drugs more expensive so like there's like an inherent logic. I don't know if that makes sense at all. But yeah, no, I mean. You can always tax stuff, and you know. Yeah, I think you I think I just read something the other day. I, I, I saw the article. I didn't actually get a chance to read it yet, but I, I guess New York now has an opioid tax. Um, so you know, I guess you know, patients who are filling prescriptions for opioids now have to pay a little bit more for for this tax. Um, you know, and that's it's uh, so that's probably one way around it. Um, but at the end of the day, that that tax is not going to the insurance companies. It's getting translated to the patients because the insurance companies are still making their money. They don't really care. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's the patient who, again, has to suffer. They're going to be the ones who have to pay the premium. They're going to be the ones who have to pay, you know, the taxes and, and all that. And at the end of the day, they're just left taking pills when they should be or could be doing something else. Is there, is, so like the preauthorization, is there no like way to become like a trusted doctor or whatever? And then you guys just get reviewed every like three to six months instead of having to like justify every, cause like having a, like having a fight every time you have to, you want to do the, the right route seems like, like something that would deplete like any person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, unfortunately not, you know, there's insurance companies have certain, you know, certain codes and different insurance companies have different requirements. So, you know, one insurance company may require prior authorization for something and another one may not. Um, so unfortunately, there really is no way around it. Um, it's it's really just dependent on the insurance companies and, and you know and what they consider you know and their what their kind of the tiers of treatment are. Um, so like uh, a question I definitely wanted to ask at one point. Um, you're still there, right? Yeah. Okay. For some for summer, I saw like the little like icon that said sound was coming from your side, but I couldn't hear it, so I got worried. But um, <laughs> that's good. The, I was going to ask this question later, but I think maybe this is a good opportunity for it. It's like, so like if I gave you like a hundred million dollars to build something that would take care of one aspect of the healthcare industry that you see as a problem would be like this pre-authorization thing where you target or like, what would you use that? Like if you could like build something to like take care of a problem, is that where you'd target a big opportunity or would you, I don't have a hundred million dollars. So I'm not like trying to like mine you for, <laughs> for ideas. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, you know, the, the biggest issue is, is just, you know, getting better care to to patients who need it. I think that's probably a bigger issue than anything else. There are a lot of you know, popul- there are a lot of communities out there that are just underserved, um, and it's you know, getting a good doctors in that area is is tough. Um, you know, especially with the subspecialties like uh, you know, like neurosurgery or you know, orthopedic surgery or or, or pain management or, or you know, something like that. Um, you know, those, those patients end up, a lot of them end up just going to like, you know, urgent care clinics or, or just seeing their primary care doctor or the ER for every little thing. Um, and that's probably what's, you know, a big drain on, on the system too, because they could just, you know, if they had a good primary care doctor in their area or they had a good specialist in their area, they can go see, um, they'd be able to take care of these, a lot of, a lot of these issues before they got any worse. Um, you know, and I think uh, another big problem is just patient education. You know, a lot of patients just don't know a lot of the, you know, different treatment options that are out there. You know, when, especially when it comes to pain management, um, you know, 
people hear pain management, they think, oh, it's, you know, cortisone injections or, or opiates. Um, and that's, you know, there's a lot more to pain management than, than just writing a prescription for, for a pill or, or sticking a needle in someone's back. Um, so it's, but, you know, if they had access to good doctors who can, you know, provide them with that care and, and really spend the time with them to explain exactly what's going on, um, I think that would really help a lot of patients. So maybe like more doctors would help because then like the demand, like the demand to like have like these 15 to 20 minute time, like time with the uh, patients. Cause I, I, I noticed sometimes like I talk uh, to- yeah, 15, 15 to 20 minutes, I think is, uh, is, uh, an exaggeration for, for some practices out there. I mean, there are some practices out there that they see a, a patient every five minutes. It's just, uh, you know, depending on the patient population they're seeing or what the reimbursement is, you know, they, they're not getting paid enough to to spend you know to see three patients an hour. They need to see you know uh, you know six to seven patients an hour, if not more. I know. I think I was reading. I try to read. I'm trying to read more about like healthcare since it keeps pissing me off so much. But uh, I think Britain has like this this the setup where like the more patients you see and actually help to get better, like you get paid more. Where in America, I think you just get paid more if you have more experience. I, I don't know like the metrics on like how a doctor is appraised as no yeah I mean you know with uh, in the U.S. you basically you know it's uh, it's you're getting uh, paid based on performance so you know based on depending on on what you're actually doing um, for the patient so you know if it's just an office visit you're you're billing certain you know every everything you do as a physician there's a certain code for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like an office visit would be, you know, a 99213 or 99214, or if you do, depending on the complexity of the visit, um, versus if you do, you know, a trigger point injection on someone or you do something else or, you know, so everything's based off of codes. So it's what you're actually, you know, what codes you're actually billing. And that's what you, you get paid on based on, you know, the negotiated rate with the insurance companies or, or whatever it is. Um, but, uh, the, um, and that's, you know, one of the problems with, you know, this, uh, you know, here in the news these days with the politics going on and, you know, with, uh, you know, some people are pushing for like Medicare for everyone. And um, a lot of doctors are against that because that just means that because Medicare tends to reimburse, you know, pretty low. So if now you have to see the same amount, you know, you have to see more patients to generate the same amount of money, that's just going to lead to a, a decline in the actual quality of care that those patients are getting. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you know, we've been, you know, we all went to school for 25 years or, or whatever it is. And to be making the same thing as, you know, someone who has a high school degree is kind of sad. So, you know, you, you go through all the schooling and then everything because you want to be able to, yes, you want to help people and you want, you know, but you also have to be able to pay back your student loans. You have to be able to, you know, because going to medical school is expensive mm-hmm. and you have to be able to, you know, to keep the lights on in your office. And so um, to, to do that, if you need to suddenly go from seeing, you know, 30 patients a day to seeing 60 a day, just to, to break even at that point, doctors aren't going to care about the quality. They're just going to, so it's going to be quantity over quality at that point. You know, you're just trying to get as many patients in and out of your office as, as quickly as possible. And, you know, when that patient has that extra, you know, that third question they want to bring up, it's, well, sorry, time's up. You know, we got to you can bring, you know, make another appointment and we'll talk about it next time. I feel like the more I, uh, granted, like the news does not help this, but like everything always, 
everything feels like it's on the point of like stress or collapse. Like the infrastructure, is, like we haven't built a <laughs> I think, bridge. I think that's just the media in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah but like it's, uh, it's all meant to uh, just cause fear and panic, you know? Yeah. So, like, is there anything that you? I don't, how long have you been a doctor? I don't know. Like, probably, I would guess like twenty years, but you could be like right out. You just sound like very mature. <laughs> yeah, I, so I don't know these things. I uh, I graduated medical school in two thousand eight. Okay. Yeah. So, ten years. That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, it is pretty good. So, um, but you were like you were around before the concussion thing, before we knew about the football head injury. That was around. That was like yeah, it was, that was probably like, oh. right around that time. Yeah, I think it was what two thousand seven. 2008 with the whole uh, traumatic encephalopathy, um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy stuff came out. Is that, is that normal for like doctors to know something and then to have to like fight? And ent- <laughs> I don't think that's normal, but is it normal to, uh, was that like a known thing in the medical community that just needed to be like, percolated out? Or was it like germ theory where like a lot of people didn't believe it for a while? Yeah, I think that's, you know, really what it was. It was just a lot of education and, you know, they're, there's some studies that show that, you know, that these you know, chronic concussions or chronic head injuries can lead to, these, you know, changes in the brain. Um, but I think a lot of people just kind of, you know, poo-pooed it or, or, you know, didn't really take it seriously until, you know, all these other studies started coming out and, you know, and all these autopsies showed that all these, you know, football players and professional wrestlers and, um, you know, another, another, um, sports or you know high impact sports um that uh these athletes all had these changes in their brain um so it's it's just like i mean like just like anything else you know someone will discover it they'll write it up and you know it'll other people will try to prove it or disprove it and and it's how you know kind of gains traction Hmm. so uh, i guess before this i was kind of leading someone which is um what are some things that you're seeing over the course of like your 10 years that are going in a good direction like, are there things that we're doing better? Like, are there things that would make people more hopeful? <laughs> the, uh... Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's new technology coming out every day. Um, there's, you know, new treatments coming out every day. Um, I think, you know, the internet is, I think, good and bad. You know, a lot of patients will go on, you know, Dr. Google and, and diagnose themselves. And, you know, some may find the right information and some may not. And, you know, it can lead them down a very wrong path. Um, but uh, I think uh, just, you know, the, the whole kind of connectivity of the world definitely helps because, you know, now you can talk to your colleague in, in California easily and, and, you know, say, hey, like I've got this patient who, you know, he's got this, this and this. I'm not really sure what it is. What do you think? And then, you know, all the people can chime in. And um, so I think that's, you know, one positive aspect of medicine. Um, more and more uh, People are starting to do the telemedicine now. So we're, you know, a patient doesn't necessarily have to go into an office to go see their doctor. They can just kind of talk to them over the phone or, you know, or over a webcam or something. Um, so that kind of makes it a little bit easier for, for some patients to, to get access to good care. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I think, you know, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be in, in the field of medicine because there's just new things coming out all the time. Um, you know, there's every day, you know, I have, a different, uh, you know, pharmaceutical rep or, or uh, you know, dev- medical device rep in my in my office, you know, telling me about the, you know, the newest and latest technology or you know what the new treatments they've come up with, and um, so it's 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 a good time to be in medicine, you know. It's, it's, it's I think the field has you know vastly changed, even you know ten years ago from when I was in in med school, and it's just going to continue to evolve from here. 
Is there anything that like while you were in med school or like just growing up thinking you wanted to be a doctor that now that you are a doctor, you didn't think would be a thing or like, or like what were like the things that you were like, were accurate? Like, yeah, that's, that's what it's going to be like. And what were some things that like completely surprised you? I think the amount of paperwork I have to do <laughs> definitely surprised me. <laughs> you know, that's the, you know, as a patient or as a, uh, you know, as, you know, a college or high school student kind of interested in medicine, that's definitely the part of medicine you don't really see that often because, you know, you're in front of the doctor for, you know, five, 10 minutes uh, and they go off into their office and that's the last you see of them. And you have no idea how much goes on, you know, behind the scenes. Um, so that definitely uh, surprised me a little bit. And like I said, it's, I, I think it's, you know, a lot of more, a lot of offices are going towards, you know, being paper free and, you know, using electronic medical records, but that doesn't necessarily reduce the amount of, you know, quote unquote paperwork that you have to do. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there'd be a way to create like this AI thing that listens to what's going on or like you could like dictate the stuff and then like does it for you. Yeah. Or like listen yeah, to some, the you know, some, Yeah. Some, some you know, people will have, you know, they'll have a scribe who comes with them. So they'll, you know, the, the physician will go in the room, they'll have a scribe with them. And then, you know, that, that person will, you know, take down all the notes and, and do all that. Um, so there are definitely ways around it. It's, um, but it's just, you know, one of those things where I think, you know, as a physician, you're never going to be able to get away from, from paperwork because whether it's documenting, you know, your note and about what happened in the visit or the patients show up with paperwork they want you to fill out or, you know, just, prior authorization requests or whatever it is, it, you know, uh, I don't think we're ever getting away from, from, you know, all the paperwork that's involved in, in medicine. Mm-hmm. It's probably a good thing. I mean, to some extent, like having like a codified, I bet, I bet there's like a really, like a massive amount of data that's being collected that no one knows about though. If it's not like easily accessible, like, like what's happening in the where and whatnot. Cause like one of the big yeah. things they're trying to like the, one of the startups I was recently talking to, like one of their big value propositions is that they, they gather the data on how the infectious diseases actually uh, change over the course of like 10 extra days that we didn't have access to. And so like that, having that data was like a big thing that they were like selling to investors because it's, a, it's yeah. a, a blank period. But yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's a time to treat, you know, uh, uh, you know, the time to diagnosis. So, if, you know, the earlier you can make the diagnosis, the earlier you can start the treatment. Mm-hmm. Is there, was there any other type of medicine that you wanted to do or were you always just like pain management? Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know that. So my specialty is physical medicine rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't even know this field existed until my third year of medical school. So, you know, when I first started medical school, I wasn't hundred percent sure what I wanted to do. I, I was thinking maybe, you know, internal medicine, maybe do like cardiology or gastroenterology or something. Um, and then my third year of medical school, my first rotation was neurology. And then I had um, two months of elective time. So basically I could kind of pick any field that I wanted to go into to kind of, you know, check out for a couple of weeks. And uh, when I was in neurology, you know, we'd have these patients come in um, with, with a stroke or, or some other neurological issue. You know, we'd have, admit them for a couple of days, you know, figure out what kind of stroke they had and say, okay, you know, let's send them off to rehab. And so I was like, what's this magical world of rehab where, you know, we, we keep sending all our patients to, to, to get better. Um, and so and they, when I had my elective time, I, I decided, I'm like, you know, let me go see what this rehab is all about. And so I, I did two-week rotation and I, uh, at my medical school, and I, just, I really liked it. So in my fourth year of medical school, I did another month of it, and, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And, and that's, uh, I was like, all right, this is the field for me. Mm-hmm. And so um, do you ever – I think that's 
So I, I think like the, the thing there is like maybe to, to the, the value of those rotations that you guys go through to try out new things for, for people in undergrad or uh, graduate school that are listening in, are there good ways to, to like get hands-on experience Maybe yeah, outside I mean, we get requests channels? all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, we, I mean, we get requests all the time for, uh, for medical students or college students to, to shadow us for a day or a couple of days, um, which, you know, I always welcome them to if they want to come check out and see what I do. Um, that's probably the best way to kind of get a, you know, a feel for, for, uh, for, the, for a certain field. Um, the, you know, they'll have somebody will, you know, send me an email like, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a college student at so-and-so school. I'm, you know, I'm interested in sports medicine or I'm interested in, you know, in sports medicine in general. Um, and I just, you know, was wondering if I could come spend a couple of days with you and, and I always tell them, yeah, sure. Of course. Um, but, uh, that's, that's probably the best way, you know, if someone who's interested in medicine and really wants to put, you know, what it's really about, just go spend a couple of days with, you know, with a physician in, in your area. Um, you know, I think for the most part, most physicians are, are open to that. Um, cause at one point we were all students interested in medicine and, and, you know, we want to get more exposure to it. And plus it helps for, for your medical school application too, to see that like, okay, you're not just applying to med school because you think you're going to make a lot of money or, or something, you know, you see what it's really like and you've spent some time in a, in a physician's office and you know what, you know, what it actually entails. Yeah. And then like those people could, um, I always try to find ways like, like that where you actually can do things versus just hoping your application is better than someone else's. Cause like, like right, it's exactly. very arbitrary. Like I hate, I hate applications for things. Cause then you just become like <laughs> a number like, Oh, here comes. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's all about standing out. You know, it's, the medical schools get thousands and thousands of applications and you know, the class size is usually, uh, you know, one to 200 students. So, you know, you've got probably, depending on the school, you know, a 10% chance or less of, of being accepted. I think there, are, I think there are other ways to get into graduate school too. Like you could, um, you, I know I, I've looked into this because I, I generally hate applying for things, but you could mm -hmm. take like one course there. Like you have to get like, you have to get them to like sign off on it, but you can take your course there to like prove that you can do this stuff. And if, as long as you're like very active and what, I guess it depends on your program. Like I'm thinking more like PhD route because then that's more like a person yeah. like says you're good enough. But I don't know. I don't know if that yeah. tracks to medical school where you, you take a couple courses in the, in the program and then kind of like prove that you're good enough. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, not that I've heard of, I, I don't know what, you know, it definitely wasn't the case when I applied to medical school, but, uh, I'm not sure how, um, you know, if there's schools out there that are doing that now, I mm -hmm. think for the, for the most part, most medical schools are, you know, you apply and you're in, you're in, you're, or, or you're not. Yeah. The, is there anything like, did you, were your parents doctors were, um, or like how, what were, what's like no, the genesis actually, of the yeah. doctor idea? <laughs> um so for me it was uh i had a um my younger brother was born two months uh prematurely um this was like in the early 90s and um so he was he basically spent the first uh year of his life um in the hospital so he was you know constantly in and out of the hospital um and even after that he was just you know uh sick a lot and was constantly in and out of the hospital and so i had a lot of exposure to being around doctors and hospitals you know from a very young age um, and, you know, I just saw everything that they were doing for him and it, it just kind of stuck with me. So I said, you know, when I, as I got older, I'm like, you know, this, this is pretty cool. Like I, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to help people like, you know, the way that they helped him. And, um, and so when I was in high school, um, my, my high school actually offered like an anatomy physiology class. So I was like, all right, let's, you know, let's see what this is all about and see if I actually like this stuff. 
and uh and i absolutely loved it so um from there i decided i'm like yep this is what i want to do um outside of being a doctor and you know up with the science do what what do you do in your free time like what are some other like non-doctor stuff that you're up to (laughs) i mean i enjoy you know going to the gym um i just got a uh, saltwater fish tank so that uh, that occupies a lot of my uh my time uh, just taking care of that um yeah i spend time with my 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 fiance my kids um you know in the summertime we'll go to the amusement parks we'll go to the park we'll go you know to the pool the beach um just you know enjoying life and, and you know spending time with uh with your loved ones i've ever had any um i mean this probably probably not doesn't really fit you because it seems like you found what you wanted really really quickly but have you ever found yourself either overwhelmed or un like you kind of talked about this a little bit in your third yeah. year of medical school and like how if you could talk about like how you found your way through that overwhelmness to find what you really wanted to do like i know like i always recommend to people that are in those types of situations like anyone listening that's like i don't know what i want to do um kind of overwhelmed with the multitude the yeah. of options to check out a man's search for meaning i think that's a great book but what were there yeah. like key moments or key things that you did like looking back that you think that really helped um, kind of like shake out what you wanted other than what yeah, you Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that first month of medical school was, was pretty intense. You know, you're, you're used to kind of your college workload. And even though, I mean, you know, as a pre-med student, um, you know, we much heavier college workload than probably, you know, most of your friends in, in college. But um, obviously that's, you know, magnified 10 times once you're, once you're actually in medical school. Um, so, you know, I remember sitting there I might you know studying at my desk and thinking to myself I'm like oh my god how am I gonna ever remember all this and how am I gonna get through all this but it's just you know it's it's dedication and it's you know being very regimented and, and you know kind of forcing yourself to just sit down and study and, and 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 know the stuff and you know some people obviously will need more help than others and you know learning to to get that help and you know form study groups or however it is that you know that you know how to study um but um yeah no I mean it's definitely a very long and you know tough process and it's all a very you know it, but it's in the end i think it's worth it and if you're really dedicated and it's really what you want to do you'll you'll get through it um and it's not to say that you have to go into medical school knowing exactly what you do because clearly i didn't you know i just knew that i wanted to be a doctor i didn't know which type yeah you know and i knew i was just kind of keep myself open for you know kind of as i get exposed to different fields um but uh once you're once you're in and you know you're you're kind of going through your all your rotations and you're going through your course your course load and um you know it definitely it, it i don't want to say it gets easier as you go along but you kind of get used to it and and you know you know what you, what's expected of you and if you're the kind of person who who knows who knows how to work hard and and you know is, is motivated and and dedicated to what you want to you know you're to accomplishing your goals you'll you'll get it done in every talk and every because I, I, I watch a lot of interviews that try to improve upon my interviewing skills uh, so the listener can have a better time and my interviewers can have a better time yeah. and I can have a better time as well because there's a lot that I want to know and sometimes I feel, yeah. always feel like limited in how good my questions are because like there's like a whole world like you're like whenever I see other people I just think of them like other planets I'm like I'm trying to like <laughs> go visit and like see, see where like, everything exists yeah. and stuff but I know where I was going with that. I lo- I literally looked outside and then I was like, planet. And then I, I forgot my question. 
<laughs> but I look at other interviewer interviews and they, they all basically say this idea that once you have your why, like once you have like what, like why you want to do something, it's really all just a matter of like how to do it and then showing up on time, exactly. which like I always felt right. like that was such a like, that's it. Like I always feel like, and I think there's like that sense of this whenever you hear people's questions, like, is that really all you have to do? And the, the, the interesting thing is that is really all you have to do. Like suss out what you yeah. want to do. I mean, it- and then be consistent. Yeah. And just, you just have to remind yourself of that. Why, you know, there, um, there are people out there, you know, who say like, you have to be, you know, write down what your why is or what you, it is that you want to come to, you know, and, and just, you know, read it every morning and just remind yourself like, okay, this is why I'm doing this. You know, this is why I'm, I'm getting up today and this is what I'm going to accomplish. And this is what I want to build towards. Um, and I think that's, that's a great motivation to, to get you out there and, and do it. Cause like I said, you know, the, the coursework is, is, is tough and it's a very long road. You know, you're going to see all your friends from college who mm-hmm. are going to graduate college and, um, and then you still got another four years to go on top of, you know, residency and, and potentially a fellowship and everything else. And they're going to all start making money and you're going to look like, what am I doing? Because, you know, I still got another four to 10 years of, of schooling and training to do and, and they're out there in the world. Um, but uh like i said in the end it's it's worth it but definitely if you know if you're going into medical school because you think you're gonna make a lot of money that's the wrong thing to do because um you know insurance reimbursements i think are only going down not up and um it's you know as my advisor once said there's a lot faster and a lot quicker ways to make even more money um than being you know than going to medical school so if you're going to medical school it's because you actually want to be a doctor and you want to make a difference in someone's life not because you think that it's a nice, comfortable, cush life with, you know, with lots of money. Mm-hmm. So, so one of my pet peeves, and I, I want to see if this tracks with you. I, I also have a hypothesis whether or not it does or not, but like, we'll see. But um, mm-hmm. I hate working with people that aren't passionate about what they're doing. And so like, to the same extent, like a doctor yeah. who does, if like, is in it for the money. But do, does that like, if you, if you were like completely in charge of like who worked around you, does does that, like, does that irritate you as yeah, well? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because, and the patients know that too. I mean, they'll, you know, the, I can't tell you how many patients have come to me and said that, you know, they went to another physician and it was pretty obvious that all he cared about was, you know, was making money off of them and billing the insurance. And um, it's, you know, it's sad because, you know, that it's at the end of the day, that's a human being in front of you. It's not just, you know, an insurance check. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, there are, just like in any field. I mean, there are people out there who, who are just in it for the money and that's, you know, they don't really care who they hurt along, you know, on the way up. Yeah. The, I, I was talking to a Dean of medicine and I may, may have mentioned this the last time we were having our interview, but the, she was telling me how like the, she, she, she cause she was like a CEO and like a, a manager. She did a lot of stuff. She was a, a fantastic person, but now she was like head of medicine yeah. or you know, whatever. She was like the top person who makes everyone's lives miserable or happy. And, um, she said that like, you get like the normal distribution of workers, no matter where you go, like you get the lazy people who aren't going to do anything. You get the people who aren't ever going to change. You get, you're like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like you think like there's so much possibility in people and yet they all, they like, we tend to just like fall into like these easy ruts of like archetypes mm-hmm. that like Carl Jung talked about like a hundred years ago. And then like, yeah. I think it's kind of true. Cause like, if you walk around, like you do kind of see like the seven, like the same, like seven to 12 people, wherever you go. And then it's like when you feed, you, yeah. might, you meet someone who's like completely outside of it. It's like, wow, what a treat! <laughs> Where did you come? <laughs> yeah, from? but uh, exactly. Yeah, but 
I mean, you know, there are people who are very dedicated and to their jobs who have, you know, like blue collar jobs and you meet, you know, you talk to them, you're like, wow, this guy like loves what he does. It's, this is great. And, you know, you don't have to be a doctor to, to love what you do. And, you know, it's so, but, uh, and at the same time, there are doctors out there who hate what they're doing and hate where they're practicing and who just are going through the motions, you know? So mm-hmm. it, you know, you get those kind of people no matter what field you're in. Yeah. The, especially with that debt, like you, you mentioned a couple of times, but like underselling it a little bit, like I think it's like 300,000 is the average for a medical doctor when they're leaving uh, yeah. to start practice. Like yep. that is, that is a lot to, to, to yeah, feel it is. that it's, pressure it's, on you. It's, yeah. It's, it's a lot of money. Um, and you know, the, the one thing that they don't teach you in, in medical school or in residency is the business of medicine. You know, so a lot of doctors are out there, a lot of students are, you know, graduating residency and, and medical school, and they have no idea how to actually practice, you know, the business side of things. And, and so they end up taking these, you know, jobs somewhere where someone's is taking advantage of them or, um, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. So it takes them a long time to kind of get up and start, you know, up and going. And um, so I think that's, you know, that's probably one of the other things I would change um, about just the whole medical system is, is start teaching medical students, you know, the business side of things. And because at the end of the day, medicine is a business. Um, you know, you can't, you can't treat that patient. You can't help that patient if you can't keep your lights on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to take care of yeah yourself first and then uh, move out. I was, to, um, I, I have like this, uh, I have a lot of friends. I don't know a lot. I have a, a, an appropriate a number of friends. I'm not trying to brag <laughs> people who are, are antisocial. Um, but, uh, but, um, a lot of them have this problem. And I was just talking to one of my friends, one of my friends last night who, uh, they, they do this thing where like, they'll, so like if it was just me and you and like we were having a dispute and I was like wanting you to do something for me or whatever. And like, I never paid it back to you or like, I never really thought about like what was good for you or like was a considerate person. I know so many people that would never like, like question that. Like they would just be like, yeah, okay. You know, blah, 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 blah. But it's like what you need to do. And this is like the schema I always try to give people, which is like, like you have to first, like if you're if you're building a bridge, first what you got to do is worry where you are. Like how how good is your foundation? Are can you actually build a bridge in this direction? Maybe you need to like take time to like take care of your mental health or like, you know what have you. And then right. you have to like yeah. see how they're doing, right? Like see where the other side of the bridge is going to be, and then like worry about the relationship. But like the first thing you do right. is you worry about what's going on with you. Like I think that's right. I guess like really hard to do for a lot of people that I talk to, and it's hard for me too. But like at the end of the day, like if you don't, it's really bad. Cause then you don't, you know, you sacrifice mental illness and stuff, mental health and stuff like that. But I'm curious, I, I always wonder, I, I hear this rule where like, if someone gives you advice, like you have to kind of see if they're following it to see if um, it's good advice. Cause or else it's like, what, how good is it? If the person who gives it is yeah. following it, but I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, and there's also the, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> so there yeah, are plenty of people out there who are, who are out there, you know, giving, you know, good advice, but they're not following their own advice. Mm-hmm. The um, but I'm I'm curious. The you you get you get to learn so much about this medical field, like what's going on with our bodies and stuff like that. And you you said you exercise, but are there is there anything that you're doing, um, in a preventative way to make sure that you're 100? percent Because I I've been talking with a lot of people about like exercising in the sake of like making their brain the best it can be. But I'm wondering if there's like anything yeah. else that you're you you like give advice to other people, but this is not you giving advice. But yeah, I mean, like what you do, you know, it's the normal kind of, you know, stuff that you would do for anything, not just about, you know, in medicine, but, you know, getting regular exercise, eating healthier, you know, 
yeah, having a good you know bedtime routine and and not staying up super late and getting up super early or, or just having a completely inconsistent schedule um you know stuff that you know that anyone should you know everyone should be doing if they want to be kind of functioning optimally mm-hmm. well i kind of i guess this really this, this i mean this this line of questions as i think about the answers just make sure i get that i achieved the objective with them but it reminds me of the beginning of ben franklin's autobiography where he was like you know you're gonna hear a lot of stuff in here a lot of advice that you've heard before though the only difference between you and me is that i took that advice and actually used it and actually did something about yeah. it and so it, it's like it's interesting i'm also like really close to like god dang it one second oh, it's like 90 degrees i have to turn this off <laughs> so, like, so it doesn't mess with the audio but um like i'm building uh, i'm like launching a kickstarter in a couple of months and i've been trying to like slowly isolate the things that are out of my control and like taking care of them and it's it's interesting yeah. It's interesting when you actually boil it down how much is actually your fault if it doesn't work out. But then like you can grow from that. But like right now, I guess I'm in like yeah, a spot absolutely. where I'm like, I really hope I'm not screwing up and I'm taking care of my stuff consistently. But because like the human body is like even, even I mean, like you gave some examples where like if you're in really a lot of pain, um, in a couple of weeks, you can be way better with like your type of help with a pain management, uh, sports medicine type person helping them out, which is a huge thing. Like a lot of, right. but like with mental illness or like, uh, just like like if you were to exercise to get physically fit like lose weight like that takes a lot of time and i think people have like it this weird yeah and it's dedication you know it's it's so easy to i mean i get this all the time you know where i don't go to the gym for a week or two and suddenly it's just you know it's becomes so easy to not do it you know it's just your body just like gets lazy you know mm-hmm. but uh and then you kind of it's just getting into the habit of it you know to the point that you do so consistently that it becomes weird for you not to do it you know so like those those first couple of days where you don't go to the gym, you just kind of feel weird. Like, Oh, I, you know, I feel like my body's wasting away or I, I need to, I need to, you know, work out or I need to do something. Um, you know, not to say that you should be working out 24 seven and, you know, but you obviously have to, you know, be smart about it. There are definitely, you know, there is too much of a good thing, you know, where you're, you know, there are people out there who are over exercising or, you know, over dieting and things like that. But it's all about, you know, doing everything in moderation and, you know, make sure you're, you're doing it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. that's a, that's the thing that i think a lot of people don't take advantage of their doctors to the, the extent that that you really should like most people go to the doctor and they're like give me the answer when, when really it's like okay. like the doctor is like a like a like if you're like the mafia don like the the, the the doctor is that person who gives you advice on how to like execute a plan like hey maybe you know don't i don't want to give that example because that's a horrible horrible analogy <laughs> like i always like to like if you, if you were trying a different exercise or something like that, or you have a, a pain in your leg or anything to that extent, like a doctor helps you figure out what you need to be doing. And so, so often like people yeah. just go and like, kind of like throw the choice at their feet when it's like, if they were to like engage in a meaningful way, it'd be really, really good for them. Um, yeah, no, of course. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what you're, especially, you know, the primary care physicians that's, you know, they're not just there to refill your blood pressure medication or your diabetes medication. They're, they're there, you know, or even, you know, sports medicine doctors or, or, you know, orthopedic surgeons or whatever it is, they're there to, you know, answer those kind of questions for you. And, you know, and again, at the end of the day, where it's all about, you know, especially with my field, it's about restoring function and, and getting patients back to the things they like to do. Um, so that doesn't necessarily, always necessarily mean you're, you're going to be hundred percent pain free, but as long as you're able to do the things you want to do, that's what's important. And, you know, and, and kind of you know, restore that quality of life. Mm-hmm. The, so I'm curious, the, I'm big on learning. I mean, you kind of get it from my podcast a little bit from the name, 
but yeah. I'm curious, like, how are, how are you keeping up with everything that's going on? Is there like a, a couple of, I think I may have asked this, um, but like, are there good areas that you found to one, you know, learn about pain management and sports? I'm not, I don't want to say sports management again. I hate yeah. to use the same word twice, but It'd be, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of the, the conferences, you know, that they'll have, it's, you know, the, um, you know, all the societies will, um, will have like a, a yearly conference or a quarterly conference or whatever it is. And, and just, you know, the local events, um, you know, speaking to, you know, the pharmaceutical representatives so that they can, you know, cause they're, you know, they're there on the front lines, you know, telling, you know, bringing out, you know, the, what their new product is and, and, and kind of educating the, the physician about it. Um, you know, speaking to your colleagues and, and, you know, um, uh, you know, what, you know, maybe they're doing different procedures than you are and, you know, and going to courses and things like that. So there's, there's definitely, you know, social media is, is now getting, you know, really big with, um, educating physicians on, on, you know, the newest in you know, technology or the newest, uh, treatments out there. Um, so there's, there's a lot out there. Mm-hmm. So, but is there a few that you'd recommend like a, a, couple of conferences, maybe uh, undergraduate, graduate students should check out. Because uh, when I was at the New Harvest conference, there was a couple of undergraduates and graduate students there, but they'd like, all of them by the end of it were like, I'm so glad I came. I actually got to meet the people that are Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, the, the American Medical Association is, is probably a good place to start. Um, they've got, you know, they have yearly conferences and, uh, you know, it's, again, it's just kind of medicine in general, not just for um, a certain field. Um, um, but again, you know, they're fine, you know, if, if you, if they have an idea of kind of, you know, what, the, what field they want to go into, um, you can always go to, you know, one of the subspecialty conferences, um, mm-hmm. like, you know, the, um, the, uh, association of, uh, the American association of, of physiatrists, um, AAP Menar, um, that has, uh, sorry, American association of medicine rehab, um, that they have a yearly conference, you know, all over the country, you know, every year, somewhere different. Um, so if someone who's interested in, in PM&R and they want to go into that field, that's, that's obviously a great field, you know, to, that's obviously a great conference for them to, to attend, just kind of get a taste of, you know, because that covers everything within physical medicine and rehab. So they'll get to kind of see a little bit of everything. Um, but again, I mean, it usually starts with, if you're really interested in a particular field, ask, you know, ask a physician in, in your area, hey, can I come spend a couple of days with you and, and see what you do? I think for the most part, most physicians are already open to it. Maybe some aren't and they're just, they're too busy or, you know, they're, they just don't want to. But um, I think for the most part, most physicians would be open to the idea of having, you know, to kind of follow them around. Mm-hmm. Are there, are there people in the, in your field that like, not like heroes, I don't, you know, you don't have to like idolize them, but are there like people that you're particularly like, oh, wow, they're doing like amazing work? Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's, you know, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of like the leaders in, in physical medicine rehab and, um, who are, you know, who either kind of came up with a new procedure or, um, are just spending a lot of their time, um, you know, just educating residents or, or, you know, other physicians on how to do certain things. Um, that um that you know that that really helps and makes a difference that you know they're basically taking their time out and you know or you know for there's one uh one guy who who wrote a textbook on on how to do injections um you know he's not going to make a ton of money off of that but it it gets 
you know, it teaches us how to do it and then shows us the right way to do it. And so he's just, you know, he's taking time out of, out of his schedule to do, you know, kind of educate other physicians on, on the right way to do things. Um, so I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty noble and that's a, that's a good thing to do. Um, and I think just, you know, the more education that that's out there is, um, just helps people do a better job overall. Yeah, the, um, do you, do you remember any of their names by chance so a listener could check them out? Um, yeah, I mean, the one that I was talking about uh, specifically was uh, Dr. Michael Furman. He's in uh, York, Pennsylvania. He actually trained um, one of my old attendings that I used to work with um, in rent residency and in fellowship at, at Mount Sinai. Um, but, uh, I mean, his, he's got a really good textbook out there on, on how to do a lot of the spinal injections that, that I do. Um, and I, you know, to this day, I, I still refer to it every now and then to to kind of review something or to to see exactly, you know, some little nuance that uh, that I may have forgotten. Um, there's uh, one of uh, you know one of my one of my old co-residents actually wrote a, a textbook on how to do ultrasound guided injections, um, and I was uh, actually an author on on one of the chapters for that. And um, that again, that's another one that I still refer to to this day. And you know, at the time, there really wasn't a good textbook out there to, on how to do these injections. Um, so it was, uh, it's a good reference to, for, you know, especially people just coming out of training who now for the first time in their life, they don't have somebody over, watching them over their shoulder on how to do something. Or, you know, they can't ask somebody like, hey, how do I do this, by the way? Or, you know, can you watch me do this injection really quick? Um, it just, it's a nice resource for, for physicians to have to, to be able to refer back to that and say like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, does that hurt? I'm sorry. It's just like a random thing. I've always wondered this. Whenever <laughs> people say spinal injections, it sounds like the worst thing in the world. Cause it, like you have to go into the bone, right? Or I, I don't no, know. I, no, the, no I, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, for the most part, depending on what you're actually doing is, you know, you're outside, you're not, you probably shouldn't be in the bone. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, you know, I always tell patients, you know, you feel the initial pinch or burn in the anesthetic. After that, should feel like pressure. If it hurts at any point, you know, well, we can numb it up some more. Obviously, some people are, are more sensitive than, than others. And, you know, I'll, I'll do injection on one person and they're squeaming, you know, they're, uh, they're you know, squirming the whole time and, and saying, you know, ooh and ow. And another person, I'll do the same exact thing and they'll kind of just lie down like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, it's so fine. You know, they're like, oh, are you done? You know? Oh, so you don't feel anything? I just feel like you're, aren't you like in shoving it into a giant nerve cluster that like controls? Like the no, t- yeah. Well, if you if you're shoving it into the nerve cluster, then you don't know what you're doing. But oh, okay, <laughs> you can, well, yeah, you never never stick a needle into a nerve. You know? Okay, okay, okay. Um, I guess but, I, I was but, uh, okay. I get okay. I I I clearly think that I'm saying something stupid here so like the way i imagine like i said it's uh that's nothing again it's that's where you know the patient education comes in you know where i you know, i i i do these procedures all day every day and you know i'll tell a patient they yeah you know we should do an injection to to calm down some lead inflammation and uh and they'll say well are you gonna stick it in the bone or are you gonna you know are you gonna put it in the nerve and you know, so it's just about, you know, educating them. And I usually have a, a model of the spine in my office and I'll show them exactly, like, no, this is exactly what we're going to do. And this is what's going on with you right now. And this is how this is going to help. And, you know, and just kind of educate them exactly what's, what you're going to do and what's going on and how it's helping. Obviously, you know, explain the risks and benefits of it all and alternative treatments to it. And, and if, you know, at the end of the day, if you and the patient think that that's what the best next option is, then that's what you do. Mm-hmm. So the, 
one last question and then I'll, I'll have some rapid fire for you once for to close up but sure do do doctors have go like because you you probably know all the the good doctors do like do doctors pick like their doctors and i guess everyone picks yeah. their doctors but like do doctors yeah, it's funny though because my uh the primary care doctor that i see uh she asked me how i found out about her you know she found out i was a physician and she asked me how i found her and i told her i'm like google <laughs> i had just moved, i had just moved into the area and uh i needed a new primary care doctor so i just i went on google and i found you know i searched primary care doctors and i found her and you know and here i am you know six years later i still like, i still go to her even though i live half hour away from uh from where i used to live um but yeah no i mean it's you know you physicians need to see physicians too so you know, you either ask someone that you know, or a patient, or you just, you know, stumble upon them on whoever takes your insurance. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, pretty, pretty fair for everyone. All right. So some rapid fire questions for you. Um, sure. I've been experimenting with new ones, though. I think these are ones I might have asked you already in our previous one. Um, if so, think of yeah. different ones. But um, uh, a question, uh, what is a question you have that you would love the answer to, but you don't have the answer to? Uh, I think we did. And I started talking about like space and dinosaurs or something. <laughs> uh, um, uh, which my fiance made fun of me for, by the way. But um, let's see. Um, I'll try to think of a different answer this time. Uh, I have to say, um, well, now I'm thinking about space and dinosaurs. But, <laughs> um, it's like zebras, right? You can't not think about zebras. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the question, uh, I mean, the, I guess, you know, kind of related to what we were talking about before is, you know, where are we going to be in, in 50 years? Like how, how different is the world going to be? You, know, you think about 50 years ago, how, how different things were in, you know, the, uh, in the, you know, in the sixties and seventies and, and, you know, the world is just changing so rapidly. And I think that in the past, you know, 20, 30 years, that growth has just been exponential. So it's, you know, what are, what is life going to be like in, in another 50 years? I think we're going to be at the worst of it. We're going to be pets to AI. I think. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, you know, how many times a day is everyone checking their phone these days and, and just, you know, kind of being everything, everything, their whole life is on, is on a phone, you know? So we're meanwhile, you know, 20, 20 years ago, your cell phone was, yeah, you just, you know, something convenient to carry around call somebody in case of emergency or something or, you know, and, and now our entire lives are on our cell phone. Maybe for most people, I, I literally forget where my phone is. My girlfriend makes fun of it <laughs> all the time. I'm an atypical person in that way. Do you still, do you still have a flip phone too? Is that it? <laughs> I want one. These, these iPhones, they last like four. I have like a portable phone charger just to like walk around Boston because my phone kept, I literally had to go to an Apple store to charge it up. But that is, they should yeah. last days. I remember when, this is like, this, you like poked a button here. But the, the, I remember when we were younger, right? you could have a phone, you could forget about it for days. You never had to worry about charging. Yeah. Now, yeah, I, mean, I, used to charge my, I used to charge my cell phone once a week, if even, you know? Yeah, I, that's what I want. I would love a flip phone. Like you've made it in jest, but I would totally love a flip phone. Especially since uh. I wouldn't have to play, uh, pay for internet. Because I don't really, I mean, other than Gmaps, I don't really use internet and even in g yeah. i just remember i just memorize where i need to go like it's not really that hard but but anyways <laughs> not to talk myself up so that's a good one that's a good one um i always answer the the big bang thing so i mean i'm not very original but so <laughs> what is a 
I still think I think it's funny that your fiance made fun of you for the space dinosaurs. But the um, what is a problem you're having that you'd love help with? Maybe someone could listen in. That's listening could give you help with uh, probably that uh, post uh, approval stuff, some paperwork. Maybe make an AI for you. But um, yeah, I, I mean that's you know anything that kind of makes you know my job more efficient is is always is appreciated. You know, right now we're you know, if a patient needs prior authorization for something, you know, my medical assistant either has to fill out a form to uh, to fax into the insurance companies or has to, you know, get on the phone with somebody from the insurance company and, and do that. And that's obviously, you know, very time consuming. And at the end of the day, you know, you're you're paying someone a salary to basically sit on the phone and, and, and do that. Because, um, um, you know, it's at the end of the day, you just want to be able to provide better quality care for patients. And if you're thinking to yourself, okay, I have, you know, this is going to take, 40 minutes to get this approved. Now you're rushing to get through the, you know, seeing the patient just so that, you know, you, cause you know, you're, someone's going to have to spend, you know, all that time on, on the phone with, with somebody. Um, so uh, anything that makes that process more efficient would, is definitely much appreciated. Do you have to, why can't you use email or something? Why does it have to go over the phone? Cause then yeah, I mean, like, you said, can it, like 50 of them. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, there's some, some insurance companies that, um, you know, do it through fax. Some insurance companies do it online. Some of them, you know, you have to get on the phone with them. So it, it, it just depends. You know, every, okay. every insurance company is, is so different. That's annoying. All right. But mainly for you and for the patient. I don't know. What, I wonder yep. why they do that. I'll have to, I'll have to find someone at an insurance company and uh, interview them and be like, why do you guys do what you do? But anyway, so the, <laughs> what are some uh, books that you've been giving to people recently? If you are in the book giving type part. I give books. I don't know if you give books, but what's like some gifts? That yeah, you I'm not, I'm not a, uh, a big reader to be honest. Uh, I think, you know, pretty much since like high school, I don't think I really read a book for fun. Um, just because I ended up spending so much of my time having to, you know, read books for out of necessity for, you know, mm. medical knowledge or, or, um, but you know, that, that's not to say that that's all doctor. I mean, you know, Dr. Gerges, who you were on the podcast with last time, she's a writer and she, you know, she's written several books and, um, she gave me one of her books and I, I started and I admitted to her, you know, recently that I, uh, she asked me, oh, did you finish it? I was like, no, not really. But, you know, but my fiance, you know, last night she was up until, you know, past, well past midnight, uh, reading Dr. Gerges' last book. So, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a big, you know, read for fun kind of guy. Mm. I'd, I'd much rather do something active than, than kind of just sit at home and, and read a book. Okay. The, uh, that's fine. Not everyone can read book. I mean, well, especially since you have to read so much, but, uh, okay. So the, a new, uh, my ending thing that I'd like to ask is, um, if I, what is something that if I knew more about you, I'd want it, I would want, sorry, I'm like tongue, tongue twistering on this. If, if I knew more about you, if I like was, I don't know, your best friend compared to what I know about you now, um, is there something that I would want to have asked you or delved into in this talk? that you can mention real quick so that people listening can be like, Oh wow, I'd want to learn more about that. And then they can, you know, Google it or something. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, pretty much covered, you know, we covered a lot of areas, but um, I mean, I guess just, you know, in general, just talking a little bit more about, you know, uh, physical medicine rehabilitation and, and how this field is, is different than, you know, just typical like pain management or, um, you know, um, or, you know, or sports medicine in, in general, um, you know, the, the field of pain management of, of uh, physical medicine rehab, like I said earlier, is, is really about restoring function and, and 
you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that if someone comes to you in pain, that you have to get them 100% pain-free in order to be considered a success. You know, there are plenty of patients that I have who maybe only get 80 or 90% better, um, but they're happy and they're able to kind of get their quality of life back and they're not having to take a pill or, or do something, you know, multiple times a day to, um, to get them to, to feel a little bit better so they could function just a little bit more. But, you know, and then you have all the side effects of, of the medication and things like that to have to worry about. Um, so that's really probably, you know, the one thing that I would encourage um, people to kind of just look into more into, you know, the actual subspecialty of, of physical medicine and rehab, because it is really one of those unknown specialties of, of medicine. Um, you know, whenever someone has like any kind of musculoskeletal injury, they automatically think orthopedic surgeon or, or um, you know, or they go to like an urgent care or something. Um, but meanwhile, their local physiatrist can, can take care of a lot of these issues. And that was Dr. Ibrahim. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening for the entire episode and making it to this point. If you liked the episode, please leave me a comment or a review. You can see in the show notes how to do that. Additionally, just like in the beginning, I want to let everyone know that we have Kickstarter going on next month. Get signed up in the show notes through the email capture and share people around about it. But back to Ibrahim. He was an amazing guest. I really hope everyone got something from him. He literally is the type of guy who wants to make the world a better place and he's doing his part to do it and I love that fact so I hope everyone out there takes something away from this additionally remember to check out his website pssmwellness.com it's performance spine and sports medicine if you just want to google it randomly or look up his name from the show notes as well it'll be linked so I, I try and make it easy for you other than that I'll give you the outro spinoff and uh, talk to you guys next week don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell this year, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends. Please and thank you.